Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trunar Neunheim, futurist and author. In episode 135 of the podcast, the topic is simple as the future. Our guest is Lisa Budell, futurist and CEO of FutureThink. In this conversation, we talk about the productivity impact of killing bureaucracy, rules, and bad organizational habits and simplification strategies for corporations and their leaders, minimizing slides, meetings, and emails to free up time. The host of this podcast, uh, Trun Arne Unheim, PhD, is the author of Health Tech, Rebooting Society's Software, Hardware, and Mindset, published by Rutledge in 2021. Future Tech, How to Capture Value from Disruptive Industry Trends, published by Kogan Page in 2021. Pandemic Aftermath, How Coronavirus Changes Global Society, and Disruption Games, How to Thrive on Serial Failure, both published by Amosphere Press in 2020. Leadership from Below, How the Internet Generation Redefines the Workplace by Lulu Press in 2008. For an overview, go to Trondsbooks at trondandheim.com slash books. At this stage, Futurize is lucky enough to have several sponsors. To check them out, go to futurize.org slash sponsors. If you are interested in sponsoring the podcast or to get an overview of other services provided by the host of this podcast, including how to book him for keynote speeches, please go to futurize.org slash store. We will consider all brands that have a demonstrably positive contribution to the future. Before you do anything else, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter on futurize.org, where you can find hundreds of episodes of conversations that matter to the future. I hope you can also leave a positive review on iTunes or in your favorite podcast player. It really matters to the future of this podcast. Thank you so much. Let's begin. Lisa, how are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Oh, I'm gr- I'm I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, talking about simplicity, this sh- shouldn't be hard, right? No, we're going to keep it very simple. Everyone will understand yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Look, I've been looking into your background a little bit. You had uh, started at Leo Burnett back in the '90s, and then I apparently, you know, uh, we're killing it back then as well. But fast forward, you know, to, to this year and you're, you're doing a hundred keynotes per year. That's the goal. So th- that's crazy. Yeah. Well, you know what though, you know, what's really cool is during COVID, you know, there's bad things of COVID, but the, some of the good things about COVID was the ability to do stuff virtually um, and save people time and me time. So you can do a lot more uh, with the same amount of time. It's amazing. Well, I'm glad to hear that because you're certainly doing a lot. You have your own future and innovation agency. That's exciting. It is. It is 20 years. We're on 20 years now. Who knew? But it's, it is exciting. It's really cool because it's all about, you know, how do you help people better embrace change? And uh, that's not easy for people. But we have a lot of fun with it because we do it in creative ways. So um, it's a good job. It's a fun firm. Did you always know you are going to found your own company? Absolutely not. I know it's one of those things I, you know, when you, uh, when you're little and someone says, what do you want to be when you grow up? I I don't remember telling my kindergarten teacher, I want to be a futurist and a keynote speaker that just didn't happen Uh, or an entrepreneur because it wasn't a thing. Right. And that's, that's the cool thing about change is there's so many jobs, you know, that our kids will be doing that 
don't even exist right now. So it's more about, you know, what are the skills? And I always had those skills. I was able to teach. I was able to inspire. And um, I was very creative. And that just kind of morphed into a business. And uh, I had a lot of strategic luck, as I like to say, trying a lot of things. Some of them worked. And here we are. And uh, just a quick question. What are you doing for the National Security Agency? <laughs> and I won't and I won't tell anyone. You know, yeah, let's talk a lot about that. No nothing. I'm not doing anything. Nothing. But thank yeah, you right. for so asking. You're, you're, that's great. That's exciting. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Um <laughs> all right, so let's uh let's get into it here. Well, first of all, you know, you've written two books at least, yeah. the ones and then a toolkit. That's uh that's something I wanted to chat about. Um Simplicity, but first you wrote "Kill the Company." Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know that was one of those. You know, everything of mine is uh, both counterintuitive and provocative. That's my goal, right? Is to inspire people but make them a little uncomfortable on topics that they really need to rethink. So, "Kill the Company" was interesting because when I was writing it as a draft, it wasn't called "Kill the Company," but we started doing this exercise that became "Kill the Company," and I told my publisher, "Hey, this really works." Like teaching people to put themselves out of business is kind of a cool thing. They love it. And it's a new way of thinking about strategic planning. This should become the whole book idea. Are you there? Are you there? I am there and we are back. Oh. I noted some connection <laughs> issues. I've never had that actually. Well, let's try it again. Oh yeah. kill the company because so, you can yeah it. yeah so you wrote the book kill the company right yeah and I uh, it's interesting because I like to do things that are you know as I was saying kind of counterintuitive and provocative because that's really what gets people excited right and um, I was writing this book on innovation and you know to be honest oh, God everyone has some kind of book on innovation so what was going to be my unique spin and there was this awful um, engagement that I had down in North Carolina with a company trying to get them inspired about the future. And all of them had so were so beaten down in their company. Um, they didn't want to think about the future. They were like, I'm never going to be able to do half these things. Who cares? So, you know, out of nowhere, I pulled this idea out and said, you know what, then rather than talking about all the great things you're going to do, let's talk about all the things that really kind of suck right now. Um, let's kill your company. I mean, honestly, it just like came out of my mouth. And it was like lighters at a concert. People were like, oh my God, yes, let's kill the company. Let's say all the things that aren't working, et cetera. And um, it turned out to be quite a success, like a happy accident. And I went to my publisher and said, this is the idea. This is the book. And um, they said no. They absolutely did not want to call it kill the company. And it got to the point where I said I, I threatened to pull my contract because I said, you know, I think this is going to be a big idea, but killing the company is scary to people, right? Um, and it turned out to be one of the best things I ever did. It really launched our business in a whole new direction. And, uh, you know, it's the right tenor for the times. People need to learn how to get rid of versus keep trying to do more. They're exhausted. So people respond to it really well. Yeah, well, I, I get that. Um, but, <laughs> you know, killing killing bureaucracy is, you know, that that's a, it's a great topic. I I've came across some, uh, you know, in public sector, there's also a big Dutch initiative on simplification. They're, they're all big on, you know, killing rules and all that stuff. And it, administrative burden, they call it in government. Um, 
It's not super easy to do, though, right? I mean, there is, you've been called a Marie Kondo of corporate simplicity, and, and, and it's beautiful to watch these shows, you know, about folding laundry and stuff, and, you know, your, 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 yeah, your house. But I could just imagine that if you're trying to structure this in a company setting or for sort of personal productivity, I mean, it's one thing to say, well, my house is a mess. And yes, that is a mess for all of us. And uh, Marie Kondo can make a difference. But tell me, where do you even start when it comes to professional simplification? Well, first of all, anyone that comes in, whether it's a speaker or a consultant or an author and tells you that simplicity is easy is smoking something. So I think that that's, I would usher them out, so to speak. But the, the goal is to make something as simplified as possible. And I think, you know, let's use the Marie Kondo example, which is, you're right. Um, there's that first weeding through your closet and getting rid of clutter, which is the first thing you need to do. But in most people, you know, if you go back to their house three months later, they haven't changed their habits and it's a mess again. So, um, yes, there's the initial weeding the garden and what we do of killing stupid rules and analyzing our meetings and emails. And we can talk about that. But the real thing is um, really two things that we do with companies. First is they need to define what meaningful work is because that really sets the tone for the culture, right? You're doing this to save money, yes, but what you're really doing is trying to get the work right. So people are spending it on work that matters versus what doesn't. And too many leaders have not defined what meaningful work is. And then the second thing is um, creating the habits that make simplification happen. So for example, in Pfizer, it might be being able to say no and say yes with intent. Um, at AT&T, it's about better communicating with clarity and using less acronyms and emails. So what we're trying to do is identify how and why we want to simplify before we just go and get rid of rules because they'll grow back. You know, I think that's very savvy because one of the things that is a slight bit annoying, and I'm sure, you know, you, you're in the business, but you also see a little bit your business with a bird's eye view. All of these innovation books that talk in generalities about how things are going to be done without considering context. And corporate context is enormously important. Yeah. I, uh, right? you know, it's interesting you said that because I, you know, I spend a lot of time on the road or watching other speakers and leader professor, leadership professors and all that. And, you know, people are really good at theory. It's easy to have a great soundbite or a really cool 12 step program, but I am a very, I'm provocative and I'm practical because I really like helping people get things done, right? And this isn't about productivity. This is about doing things with intention that you want to do. And so the reason I'm saying this is, is that I think um, it's really important to give people a, a bag of tools that they can use because it's not just different by company, it's different by team. You know, there's not one culture at a company. Every team has its own culture. And so we need to give them different ways to simplify it. You know, procurement's going to simplify a lot differently than how marketing's going to do it. And that's okay. Well, it makes it harder, though, to uh, advise a company on anything, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yes, because everyone wants a, you know, a 12-step program. But the good news is uh, there's a framework, right, in terms of being able to teach people a setup of who owns it, defining the meaningful work instilling the habits, and then giving people simple tools to constantly weed that garden. Like, you know, killing stupid rules is a great one. It teaches people not to be scared to get rid of things. It gives them a framework to do it, and it shows them instant results. Um, they can do it anytime, right? That's what simplicity needs today. Anyone can do it. So here's the question. 
and maybe that's provocative. Is there a danger to simplicity? I mean, you're throwing out stuff that people spent ages building. Uh, for example, standardization, right, is often something that, well, I mean, it could contribute to simplicity, but it might also be viewed as boring or, or something that yeah. really is just imposing something. But in actual fact, it, you know, it liberates you to do other things, right. when, you know, when working well. What do you think of the dangers of simplicity? I mean, if someone comes in, it, because, you know, if you think about it, every new manager or leader mm -hmm. or to your point, team leader comes in and they want to make a mark. Yeah. So they either launch something that adds work, in which case is the opposite of simplicity, or they try to simplify things. Well, but with sometimes with disastrous results. That's exactly arguably. Right. Well, you know, so here's a couple things about complexity, which is, you know, most complexity, you know, with a few exceptions, some people create complexity to make themselves seem more important and, you know, uh, you know, to move up the ladder to seem smart. But most of it is created with the best of intentions, right? To move faster, to just add on versus strip. So, right, it's it's we create the beast that we become a slave to. Um, the other thing that people forget is sometimes we don't want to just simplify. We want to make something as simplified as possible. So let's give you an example. When most people think about simplicity, they think about minimizing something, right? But simplicity is a lot more than that. Minimizing is one thing, but you can also minimize it too much, and then you're spending so much time explaining it that you might as well have not minimized it as much. We've seen that with contracts at many banks. But there's other ways to simplify. It could make it uh, more understandable, right? It's about clarity. That allows you to move faster. It's about being repeatable. I mean, the thing that you were just talking about is, you know, you want a surgeon to be able to go into an operating room or a pilot to go into a plane and have similar instrumentation every single time even though some things in the plane will be different. So when there's a problem, they can concentrate on the problem, not how to fly the plane, right? Right. And, and even if there were simpler ways, right? Simpler plane, you could have simpler equipment or something, but you want to standardize on something so that everybody recognizes what needs to be done. As possible. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's also making things accessible. I think that's another thing is people tend to protect things. And if they make them more open, like, you know, opening source code or whatever it is, we see that there's benefits and not harm to it. So we, yeah. I wouldn't say give away all your IP, but I would say understand some things could be more accessible and maybe that's a way to simplify. I want to ask you, so you issued a toolkit after those two books. Mm -hmm. Is that because, and that's like a self-standing book in and of itself. So there, there is enough work here that you couldn't just put it in, you know, three questions at the end of each chapter. So it's not all that easy to do this. No. In fact, the tools took me a lot of time. You know, it's kind of like everyone thinks Google's so simple, but there's a lot of things that went behind the curtain <laughs> to make it simple. And that's really the testing of the tools, the knowing how to ask the right questions, giving people just enough framework, knowing how much time is too much time. You know, we put a lot of work into that so people could have a range of things to do. Hmm. You, you mentioned Google. So Earlier, you said Pfizer and you'd worked with Pfizer and for them, it might be simplicity. I, I can believe that. I've, I've worked a little bit with Pfizer. I do think that simplicity would help them out. What about Google? What, what, what are they working on? So it's interesting. They, have, they do some cool things too. It's more about um, at the team level. And so, for example, in some of their rogue areas and the teams have, the team leaders have um, control or empowerment over this, they have cut the crap committees. 
And so what I thought was really cool about that was sometimes with simplicity, you have to call it out. Like, what are your biggest time sucks? What is the crap that we're doing that we need to get rid of? And people will volunteer that quite regularly. And these committees, for example, are they're assigning a couple people and they say for the next month, kind of act like anthropologists and observe everybody in the wild doing their work and see what the crap is that they're they're doing. You know, the, the thing about humans is too often we, we feel like we're in a groove, right? Because we do the same thing over and over, right? The process. But it, you might be in a rut. And the problem is you can't tell the difference because they often feel exactly the same. Got it. So you need to have someone to tell you from kind of observational point of view that this may not make a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, just a, some t- someone to get an outside view where you stop and you go, huh? I mean, think about it. Even before COVID, people said, you know, we'll never be able to have everybody working from home. It just won't work. Ta-da! You know, it's amazing uh, when things are put upon us, how we will, it's about questioning the assumptions around how we work. That's really what it comes down to. Yes. Let's not, you know, perhaps turn this into a future of work episode, but I mean, isn't the argument there that they had to? I mean, you know, there was no alternative. So of course, people made it work because the alternative is the organizations fell apart. I mean, no one's saying that it's ideal to work from home if you want to have a teamwork. Some are, some aren't. Some are saying that, you know what, it works just fine. Some aren't, you're right. Some people need to be physically together. But the point is, it is an option for a lot of people. I think um, you're right, it was put upon them. And the idea, you know, with simplification is it allows you to be proactive rather than reactive. And, you know, the thing that happened right now with COVID is that the big word is agile and pivot. Pivot, everyone had to pivot. You know what, people are exhausted with pivoting. The goal isn't to constantly be able to get ready for the next disaster. The goal of simplicity is so you can drive the change, not react to it. And that That I like a lot. Yeah, that I like a lot. Uh, I think this is, you know, certainly something that adds nuance to your message because if it was just another sort of corporate slogan where you're like, okay, now we're doing simple and we're going to do it faster or yeah. <laughs> okay, no, right? No, and I, you know, the other thing I talk about with leaders, this is really important. It's the shift of this is not an efficiency and time productivity effort because everyone says, oh, you're about, you know, productivity and time management. And I said, I want you to think about it differently. It's about being intentional with your time because I don't want to go to people. The message can't be, I want you to be more productive. I mean, if someone told me that, I'd say, to be honest, screw you. I'm very productive, but everyone keeps piling stuff on me. It's about being more intentional and in control with my time because it's a limited resource. So, you know, shifting that thinking about stopping unnecessary stuff. It's not about doing more. It's about doing valuable. And that that's a mental shift that we have to have. And people will be inspired, not by saving money for the company, but by doing meaningful things. Lisa, I'm wondering a little bit, what is the futuristic aspect in this? Because you have a future consultancy. Yeah. Is this a side business or is this deeply connected to the kind of work I'm assuming you also are doing for clients looking a little bit into, uh, you know, into the future or preparing the organization? Is this sort of just an intrinsic way to have a future oriented organization that can handle more stuff thrown at them, which is, you know, inevitably the future is uncertainty? Or, or is it different than that? No, they're directly related. It, it's interesting because my intent wasn't to start out with this company to be a simplicity company. My intent was to be an innovation business, right? Teaching people change, et cetera. But what we realized is, you know, as futurists, the front end of innovation is not trends. The front end of innovation is simplifying to create the space for that thinking and trend setting to happen. 
And we were finding at too many companies, you know, they had smart people, they had money, but what they didn't have was time. And so what we needed to do was keep the front end, which was we got to put a mechanism in place to get rid of the stuff that's holding them back from the things that really matter. And that's where simplicity came in. Do that first before you tell people to innovate and do more. So there are a lot of trends, uh, analytics firms out there trying to analyze, you know, the next two, three years or consumer trends or, or looking at that. Are you saying that this sort of activity is less important or is it just that you're trying to get, you know, free people up so they can actually listen even to the messages coming from those firms? That, because I think that you absolutely need to stay on top of signals of change, right? As we say, like, keep your antenna up. What are the weak signals? What are the strong signals? How can we, you know, look at scenarios of possible, probable, preferable, all that stuff. But people don't have time to do that because two things are happening. One, they're drowning in unnecessary work. So, you know, if I went to a trend presentation today, I would say, oh my God, that was interesting. And two things would happen. I'd either be stressed out um, because I don't know what to do with it, or it would be nice and I'd go back to business as usual. So I think that for us to simplify, that's going to give us, frankly, space to think. And until we have space to think, we're not going to be able to, I think, really activate those trends. Interesting. Can I have you put your futurist hat on, though? What do you what do you see happening in the in your in your tea leaves? I mean, you, so simplicity, you know, presumably is something that you know you're pushing. What are you seeing in organizations today, for example, on the axis of simplicity? Is it going uh, the right way? That's uh, in that sense, or is it just going to be an uphill battle? Are you seeing organizations generally simplifying, or? Are people listening to these messages or, um, you know, where's the situation? When you start to see it really stick is when people are making it part of their strategic charter. So when you take Novartis, right, they are unbossed, curious, and simplified. Now, that's very different than customer-centric, shareholder value, right? That's a shift in behavior and thinking. They are focused on um, empowerment, being curious to innovate, and simplifying to make the speed for it to happen. Those are, that's very powerful. You see this at credit unions where they have simplification teams that are in charge of helping people constantly weed out the work that doesn't matter. So people are putting teams and capital towards it. Um, we also see people putting simplification champions in place that used to be innovation champions. So they're kind of pivoting those resources, realizing if we don't simplify, we're not going to innovate. So there's, there's informal ways people are doing it. And there's formal ways people are doing it. It depends on where in the journey they are and how committed they are to doing it. I'm sensing that even though you started out thinking you were an innovation consultancy, you've, you've developed a healthy skepticism around the practice of innovation. Yeah. Tell me a little more about that. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Actually, Tron, can you hold on one sec? Sure. Hold on. I got to plug in my computer. Yes. Yeah, because it's going to run out. Hold on. All right. Fantastic. Now we're good. Um, let's pick up. All right, let me just re- Yeah, just let me pick up the question so that we don't get an issue. So Lisa, I'm sensing a healthy skepticism around the concept of innovation. <laughs> a, a very healthy, not unhealthy skepticism, but healthy. Yes. I mean, I'll tell you, it's like, um, I think everyone can be innovative. They just need to know how. And the problem with innovation when it just started out was, um, it was seen for the people that were the you know creative 
or it was just for the scientists, or it was only for the designer, you know, it was only for certain people. And my skepticism on that was, you know, that's about creativity, but innovation, it takes a team, right? It's a team effort. And so we need everybody thinking that way. So that's where I really got skeptical initially with innovation is everyone thought about it, like, like they had to work at an ad agency, or they had to be a designer, and that's not it. Um, and the other skeptical thing I had around innovation was, um, you know, it's not something we can always just do on demand. So we've got to set it up as kind of part of the culture. And that's where simplification comes in. People can't just like think of a blockbuster idea. We've got to make thinking a part of the culture. And that's where simplification comes in. Give them the time to do it. Yeah. And if you look into the next decade, what do you what do you see happening? What do you think is uh is that the the trends that people should should worry about even even within simplification are there are there frameworks in addition to yours are there more structural things that are making this easier you said novartis has started for example to put it in their mission statement uh is that a, a step a necessary step or is that just an example of of a one approach to to sort of taking simplification more seriously well, the answer is yes to that. It is one approach, but I think being able to define it, making a strategic initiative sends the signal from the top. The top's job with simplification is to um, say what simple, why we're doing simplification, right? What, what's the end goal with it? And to exhibit the behaviors that they want others to do. So for example, if you tell people to simplify and the leaders don't, people will not do it. Because a lot of complexity is created by fear. Leaders' job is to take fear off the table and exhibit those behaviors, right? And then the rest of it is how you want to activate it at the team level. And that can be structured and formal, like with simplification champions or chief simplification officers. Or it can be rogue, like Google, right? Because their culture is that way, where they can just have kill-the-crap committees. It really depends on um, how dedicated you are to it and how much complexity you have. So talking about how much complexity you have, this may be an unfair question because I'm a firm believer that even though you can, you know, explain things to people, you may not be able to practice it the same way in your own organization. But if you think about your own organization, what are some of the challenges you have had with implementing? I'm assuming you at least made some attempt to implement kind of some of your own ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, knowing that you're not always kind of a, uh, you know, it's it's harder to do on your home ground than it is to see it with others. But w w what would you say have been your 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 experience with it? Yeah, that's funny you said that because it's like, yeah, you want to eat your own dog food, right? So we do a lot of killing. Well, you food. want to, but I'm just saying it's hard. Well, this is where I learned when I, you know, I keep talking about kill a stupid rule because it's such an easy thing to do. And we do it every month at our status meetings. One of our status meetings is dedicated to killing stupid rules. And what I learned the first time I did it was, um, surprise, most of the rules that were stupid that they wanted to get rid of were mine. <laughs> you know, so you start to learn, you know, you have this, the reaction that you find when some, with a uh, complexity is everyone thinks it's everyone else's fault, right? Oh, it's not me. It's everyone else that's creating it. And so there's a lot of ego attached to the way we work. And so what we were finding is in theory, killing a stupid rule was great and productive, but um, people get very defensive when you want to kill their thing because they don't come up with stupid things. You do. And so we had to really think about if somebody now was no longer going to work on a project, that was okay because we were going to pivot them to something else. And that, that takes a lot of thinking through in terms of people's egos related to simplicity and complexity. If you want to think about uh, 
or you know think about some simple takeaway from from this conversation if you are someone who maybe believes that simplicity you know does have something what what are what is the first step they should undertake and i guess in their own life like before they even go to work is there something there just you know if you have a three-step instead of a 13 tools because that's a whole book but if you were just thinking about your own life and you're saying you know i i lead a team whatever i lead a company i i I lead something or you know i certainly think that i you know have a, a, a you know we all think we we're doing the right thing but i could improve and i'm willing to think about a couple of things what should they do so I would say, first of all, we, it's just about being more intentional with your time. I don't think people realize how they spend their time. And that's where we tell them to write down 20 typical things that they did in a week and then look at them and circle the ones that they really thought were valuable. And what they're going to find is they don't circle many things. And so the things that aren't circled, you have to ask yourself one by one, why are you doing them? And if in too many instances, it's obligation, you're trying to be nice, uh, you have to do it. You really got to question how you're spending your time and see how you can get rid of some of those things. So that would be one of the first things that I would do. And then the other thing is, you know, it's it would be really great to spend a couple of weeks every day saying, what am I going to say no to today? And at the end of the day, say, what did I say no to today? And if every day your answer is nothing, you're not being intentional with your time. And that's the first step in simplifying. Hmm. It sounds easy. I'm horrible at saying no. I feel like I'm letting people down. I'm like missing out on the opportunity. I'm like, oh, maybe this little thing, even though it's just a tiny thing, they want me to write some crazy thing for publication I've never heard of. I should probably do it. I should probably do it. Yeah, that's what everyone says. And that's true. I do the same thing. But, you know, it's interesting. We, um, when we were coming up with some of our simplicity workshops that we do, one of the tools I, I came up with, because so many people asked me about this, was uh, 40 ways to say no. And everyone says it differently, but they're so worried about, in a good way, hurting people's feelings. And so we've got to come up with ways that it's not about them, it's about you and your time. And it's not that they're not valuable, it's that you've already have other things that you need to focus on. And so it it starts small, but over time, people get much better at it. It definitely is one of those things that takes time to say no. Wow, I'm I'm so encouraged because I have a no conversation I need to send out to a bunch of people right now and I feel very empowered and I will do it right after this. Good. I hope you say no. I want you to be able to uh, say no. You know, they say, tell me what you say yes to and I'll tell you who you are. So it's really important for us to look at what we say yes to because that's really what telescopes, um, what people think about us actually. All right, so let me challenge you on this without being personal, but what are some things that you've said no to in the last week? Oh my God, carpools. <laughs> I'll say that personally. There are some things where I've just learned over time, like they just, they aren't effective. They should be, but then everyone's schedules constantly change and they're not reliable. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to do this with myself and my one other person and we're going to manage it that way. And uh, I'm confident that that is the right decision. So I said no to the offers. Okay, let me give me give me one from from a work context yeah. that that people should say no to. Give me a very concrete one that everyone can go back and 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 actually make a tangible improvement in their work life. What what is some one thing that gets requested a lot that really isn't essential for most people or or something to consider? Yeah, well, I'm the boss, so it makes it a little different. But uh, a lot of people want me to be. They wanted to have um, weekly team meetings that I would attend as well, and I said no. 
I trust you guys. And if there's something that you need me to come in and weigh in on, then you can invite me to it. But I'm not going to do a standing meeting every week. And the other thing is we redesigned our um, our own weekly meetings to be um, drop-off meetings. And we invite everybody at the beginning and during the meeting, I gradually uninvite people to attend. Um, so we're not wasting their time. So I want people to stop saying no to meetings that they don't need to attend. And so what I did with status meetings is I said to them, you guys, too many people are sitting on here for the whole time and we need to stop that. And that's how we changed it. Wow. And on that note, I'm going to say no to a longer podcast. And thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, so interesting. And I, you asked some really great questions. So thank you for this. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Let's hope that we can continue this. And, uh, you know, if, if we promise simplicity, maybe we can do the next one, another episode. Only if it's simple. Tron, you're a great interviewer. Thank you so much. You have just listened to episode 135 of the Futurized podcast with host Trond Arnevenheim, futurist and author. If you're interested in Trond's product or services, feel free to check out futurized.org slash store where you can book a keynote speech, become a sponsor or partner, request a podcast swap, or buy a few of Tron's books such as Health Tech, Future Tech, Pandemic Aftermath, Disruption Games, or Leadership from Below. If you are interested in all of Tron's projects, check out his website, trondendheim.com, which has links to his other podcasts as well as his public appearances. In my conversation with Lisa Bodell, futurist and CEO of Future Think, we talked about simple is the future and the productivity impact of killing bureaucracy rules and bad organizational habits. My takeaway is that to claim that the future will entail more simplicity than complexity is an unusual take. Nevertheless, there is an appeal here. Further complexity in some realms might necessitate simplicity in others. Regardless, simplicity is appealing and wonderful when it works. Please share this show with those you care about. To find us on social media is easy. We are Futurized on LinkedIn and YouTube and Futurized 2 on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time. Futurized, conversations that matter.